1: Four, I think the finale of this series on John Brown we're doing here at Pod damn America. I'm Jake Flores, that's Alex Patak.
2: What's up? It's part four. I got an eye patch and a scar. <laughs> yeah.
1: Anders Lee is here, Anders Lee here. Naomi Caravani, welcome back to the show.
3: Thank you for having me. Pleasure to be here.
1: There is a whole uh, fuck ton of this story to barrel through, and I want to get it done in one episode so I can stop reading this book, because I'm at the point where you're reading a very long book where it's destroying your life, and you want to throw it out the window. <laughs> so let's do it all. If you, By the way, uh, sorry, I know this is coming out weeks after we started the series. Uh, life is a disaster. I had to get on top of a cum scandal, and my AC broke. But here it is, <laughs> as promised. <laughs> john motherfucking brown today we'll get to the final act harper's ferry all right so last time we talked about john brown uh we did all the build up and basically got to Osawatomie, where he had finally sort of like shifted this weird tide and sort of uh actually had a a military standoff that changed things a little bit in both the culture and society and in himself right because at the end of Like, last episode, we are talking about how he's basically just walking around like a fucking cowboy after this. And he's going into town and hearing people, like, threatening, I gotta kill this John Brown guy. And just going, like, he's right in front of you, motherfucker. And he hands him a gun and stuff. John Brown is, like, a little bit, like, he's not full of himself, but he's aware of how badass he kind of is, I think. There's, like, a there's a little bit, you know, you could project onto this depending on whether you like him politically or don't like him. Maybe he's, you know... Uh, kind of becoming egotistical, or maybe he's just fucking earned it. You know, I don't know.
2: Maybe he's back to his old him. You yeah,
1: know what yeah I mean? he's, sure.
3: he's back on his bullshit. He's off the, the Brown.
1: He's the the yeah the Bugs Bunny meme where he's got the gun. He's go, I'm going back to my old life or whatever. I don't know. Um
2: so, <laughs> loosely based on John
4: Brown. <laughs> Did they ever do a Looney Tunes about John Brown?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah where yeah. Bugs Bunny has to end the unconscionable practice of
4: slavery. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, he kills Foghorn Leghorn.
4: <laughs> yeah. What animal they used as a stand-in for the slaves. I won't go there.
1: I mean, it's Daffy Duck.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> it it's and not. It
3: does
2: bring a good bit of levity to the situation. <laughs> I'm not even not
3: joking, any man. Pants. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Those old cartoon characters are like a stone's throw from blackface, and Daffy Duck is like the one where they did the—they clearly threw the stone the closest to where they were standing.
2: Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. he's a black duck.
1: He is. <laughs> he also, <I'm>, well, <laughs> They, did the, they talked about this on Struggle Session a little bit about how, like, the early Disney characters, the reason they're wearing, like, the white gloves and stuff is, like, that, and then they had to, like, kind of redo it as society kind of advanced a little. Not joking. <laughs> so maybe there's an episode. There's lots of cool lost episodes of Looney Tunes. I don't know. But anyway, John Brown. Let's get started. So 1859 is the year of the raid, right? Um, he goes to Cleveland. He meets these people called the Overland uh, Oberlin Rescuers. Um, they go around... Uh, you know, he he's, he's got this swagger going on. He's meeting other like people that have gone done more dangerous abolition projects. Um, he sells his horses that he used just recently. He jokes to the people he's selling them to. These are good abolitionist horses. I've converted these horses. He's like starting to get funny and shit. He right. <laughs> Hops around, raising money, speaking. People are now, like, really into him. Um, Transcendentalists are calling him, like, a holy warrior and stuff like that. Um, He goes to Concord on May 9th, uh, 1959, his 59th birthday. He talks to the Transcendentalists. They're really nice to him. They only give him $10 for some reason. They don't have any money, but they're like, we love you, right? Which you would think is a fuck you, but we'll get to actually how they probably were his most valuable fans a little bit later. Um he goes and gets the pikes that he had made. He gets his sons together. He gets John Jr., Owen. Salmon tells him to fuck off. He says he doesn't want to kill people anymore. He gets Oliver and Watson. Pussy! <laughs> yeah. So That's the last of Salmon, basically. John Jr. goes to West Andover, Ohio, with a box of 198 sharp rifles and 200 revolvers and their marked mining equipment. So... Before, they they were referring to Harper's Ferry as this mill project they were trying to open so that they didn't get caught in, like, letters and correspondence. And for some reason, they switched it to, like, when we opened the mine. Which
3: already sounds dangerous.
1: Yeah, it's, like, so obvious. They're like, when we dig the precious metals from the earth, then they'll see. (laughs) It's fucking weird.
2: I merely have been working on my waste management company. (laughs) (laughs) Don't open those
0: boxes.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. Don't open. That's a loot box. I started a company where you get bobbleheads. Okay. Um. <laughs> John Junior has insomnia and crying fits. He leaves the raid group to go fundraise instead, and he's kind of out because he's just got clearly. He's the one who went insane, and they changed him to a spike. Like he's he's just got PTSD. Um, Great
4: person to raise money for you. Yeah.
1: <laughs> he actually doesn't raise very much yeah. money because he's oh. like just a shattered. Insane. You'd sell uh, this us. is
3: John Jr. And I'm calling on behalf of John Brown. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> you don't know, man, you weren't there. He's like a non-veteran <laughs> <He
3: did. laughs> showing
2: up at people's houses, weeping, waiting for money to come.
1: <laughs> so John's crew sort of organizes. He's got his sons. He's got a few other, uh, kind of uh sympathizers he's put together people are kind of adding on to it they disguise themselves as the smith family but they all keep their like first name so it's just hi i'm not john brown i'm john smith i'm not owen brown i'm owen smith so anyone that knows the name of the family will be like oh yeah there's a guy named john he's got 10 kids named salmon uh, John Junior, <laughs> it's ridiculous. And they go and they find this dilapidated farmhouse called the Kennedy Farmhouse. That's about five miles from Harper's Ferry, where they make their sort of base operations while they uh, prepare for Harper's Ferry. Um, he's got a guy named Dangerfield newbie with him Lewis Sheridan Leary. He's got some black <laughs> sympathizers. Yeah, his name's Dangerfield. His first
2: name is Dangerfield. <laughs> <Yeah>. Dangerfield newbie. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Free- and
3: Dangerfield was an interesting character because he uh, he was mainly concerned with freeing his wife from slavery. His wife to was take about my to get
4: slaves, sold off. please. <laughs> no,
2: <to> free <laughs> my wife, to say, please.
4: I bet that guy. I bet that guy got no respect. <laughs> oh
2: yeah, at the time.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, that'd be funny if he just looked exactly like Rodney Dangerfield. <laughs> 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 He's in a suit and shit. Yeah, so he had um, about five black recruits, which was uh, disappointing to him because he kind of had this idea that there'd be more people. But he was, yeah, I mean, he was working with Harriet Tubman and she was trying to get people f- from Canada, but he c- couldn't really get that many people to join up with him. Um, let's talk about the house I don't for a understand.
2: Second. I sent out my saddest son to get me <laughs> <the> mad. <men.
0: laughs>
2: <laughs> so,
4: yeah. We- did he at least sad boy his way into some girls
1: from the Italian?
3: Yeah. Um, well, at the Kennedy farm, they when they were hiding out, they were like, All right, this looks way too suspicious with this many men here, so let's let's bring over some chicks to the Kennedy farm. Ooh, and nice. so it, it looked more like a farming family. Is that, rather than just, rather
4: than a sausage restaurant.
3: Yeah.
1: That is what happened, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, the Kennedy farm was a dilapidated piece of shit. They sat on boxes and just like cleaned guns and made holsters and played checkers and sang hymns all day. They sent, um, people into town to sort of, uh, mill about, do a little recon. They even buddied up kind of a little bit to a local pacifist group called the dunkers, which is pretty cool. Right. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. The one from Boston or the <laughs> Twitter people. I don't know. Um, So he has this nosy neighbor called the Huffmasters. So they keep seeing like black people through the windows and they're just sort of like, you know, an annoying neighbor. Um,
3: yeah. And this was like a a stop on the, or a quote unquote stop on the underground railroad. So the, this is where, uh, slaveholders would look for their, their escape slaves, this town in Maryland.
1: Yeah. So it was a real dicey situation. Um, They would sit around inside, and one thing they would argue about a lot is just the raid because John Brown was becoming more and more fixated on uh, trying to seize the arsenal. Which, so the way Harpers Ferry is laid out is that there is the arsenal where they store all the guns is on an island that is kind of connected to two bridges. That uh, I think they have like railroads on them, but it's kind of an insane thing to try to take because you're on an island in the middle of the town after that and it's strategically kind of a nightmare, but he's like kind of full of God and shit and is like it's it's destined. I have to take this fucking gun island. Um, Can you can we uh, you were talking a little bit more about uh, or you were talking a little bit about cook earlier. Naomi, can you talk a little bit about recon mission?
3: oh yeah so john cook the hot one of the bunch goes down there's actually a book written about him called john brown spy and uh he's a really interesting character he was a lawyer in the north i think connecticut and then he went down to to harper's ferry on this recon mission to like get the lay of the land and he actually like made friends with everybody in town he published poetry in the local paper <laughs> and he he got married and but used the marriage and like asked the marriage clerk like oh how many slaves are in town for that mission for the Harper's Ferry mission But uh, his his wife did get pregnant, so it may have been a real marriage, though. He he used the marriage (laughs) clerk for information. And then he goes up to Louis Washington, who was later captured, which is hilarious. And he makes friends with Louis Washington, the uh, great grandson of George Washington. Yeah.
2: Um, But Does he marry him? (laughs)
3: He does not marry him, but they. Tragedy of
2: reconnaissance marriages all through town.
3: Yeah, so Johnny Cook was a was a really good sharpshooter, but he went up to Lewis Washington and he was like asking about his guns and just seeing how how well the guy would shoot. And John Cook just pretended that he wasn't that good.
0: Mm. Yeah. And then
3: Lewis kind of fucked up, so he knew that he was going to have an easy time capturing him and stuff yeah they
1: they when they did capture the whole crew they hated him the most like (laughs) more than john brown even because they thought john brown was kind of cool they that guy pissed them off really hard by hanging out with them and writing poetry in their city and shit and pretending to be their friend and then doing the raid um yeah plus he was hot or whatever
3: I yeah, say. he right. was super hot. Also, yeah, later in later in jail, he gets a lot of female fans who try to bail him out.
1: Yeah, very cool. There
2: was real persecution against hot people back then.
0: <laughs>
3: yeah. I mean, he had I, a better like chance of, survivor, of surviving. But anyways, yeah, yeah, go on.
1: I like that he got his wife pregnant and probably accidentally, and then he had to go on 1850s, like, Maury in the South.
4: okay traveling maury yeah yeah
1: Yeah. you are not the father i don't know uh okay so yeah it's like a vaudeville show (laughs) just maury (laughs)
0: um
1: So, uh, what was his name? Frederick Douglass visits and declines to join the raid. John Brown says, come with me, Douglass. I will defend you with my life. I want for you a special purpose. When I strike, the bees will begin to swarm, and I shall want you to help hive them. He's yelling about beehives.
3: Yes, he thinks Douglass is going to hive.
1: Yeah.
2: Hive (laughs) them, (laughs) Douglass.
3: Hive. We need the deehive the
2: deehive right. yeah i can't believe he wasn't motivated by this speech well I, <laughs> yeah. won't you be the hive for all the bees douglas yeah. that could be you with the holes in your skin oh yeah
1: <laughs> yeah he totally is like a daniel plainview type at this point
0: <laughs> he's like older and crazier
1: yeah, yeah so he's yelling about beehives really weird considering like the political climate we live in now maybe he was onto something maybe the beehive works as a metaphor um, uh,
3: Douglas, yeah, but Douglas thought the strategy was just, uh, yeah, just was lacking any kind of clear objective, and it would endanger the Underground Railroad, and it would turn the country against John Brown, because they're going after a federal arsenal, so he's like, you're going into a perfect steel trap, I don't want to join.
1: yeah. Yeah, and he's smart. But he did
3: bring a recruit,
1: Shields Green. Right. So uh, his friend Shields Green. Names in this again. (laughs) (laughs) Shields Green's a pretty cool name. Shields Green uh, decides to go with John Brown, even though Frederick, who he came with, is declining to go. So there's an interesting kind of hinge there where this young guy is inspired to join. And Frederick Douglass, you know, you can look at it a lot of different ways. Um,. I don't know. Some people think that he's simply afraid uh, because it is a suicide mission that does go wrong. Some people think that he's uh, warning John that he's, you know, that you're going to kill yourself and I'm not going with you. And, um, you know, then there's also like the the philosophical stuff about the violence and peaceful abolition and stuff like that. And, you know, we'll talk a little bit about Frederick Douglass like after the raid or whatever, but he does kind of come back around and eventually come to uh, laud John a bit, right? Which happens with a lot of people. Um, Let's see. He wrote, John Brown wrote his own constitution and also his own wild-ass Declaration of Independence, both of which are discovered, I think, at the Kennedy Farm after the failed raid. And so, like, all these letters and stuff that he had all get published, and then everyone sort of sees, like, the Unabomber manifesto. Um,
3: (laughs) Also, people had it in their pockets during the raid. Right. So, they were found in people's pockets. Uh, Gotta have your pocket brown constitution. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
1: Your little chick-tracked um He in the in his Declaration of Independence, he calls American lawmakers "quote leeches, swarms of blood suckers and moths, <laughs> totally unworthy." They do not
3: hive. Yeah,
1: <laughs> moths do not hive. Leeches do not hive. <laughs> totally unworthy. They spend
2: all day in the closet
1: <laughs> eating eating my sweaters.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> the uh, it, Totally unworthy of the name of half-civilized men. Nature is mourning for its murdered and afflicted children. Hung be the heavens in scarlet. So, yeah, he's still doing the thing where he's yelling about wild animals, which definitely reads pretty well to the Transcendentalists, using them as metaphors for things. Um, But you also notice that he refers to the blacks as we instead of they and stuff like that. And so, um, you know, much much is actually pretty... Like, much is made and much is appreciated of this wild-ass shit he wrote when he uh, when he's in, in prison and, and eventually killed. Um, he also had a, a piece he wrote, a piece, uh, I don't know what, exactly what you call this, it's called The Vindication of the Invasion, which just sort of explained his rationale for the violence. Um he became paranoid upon learning that his plan was ratted out or thinking that his plan was ratted out. He yelled at his men because he thought they were being sloppy around town, but he was actually narked on by some Quakers who went to the secretary of war, John B. Floyd, but
3: Floyd's
2: oatmeal bitches.
3: <laughs> yeah. Also, a lot of people at the Kennedy farm were, like, writing their girlfriends back home and were just like, I'm on a secret mission.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Don't ask where. It's here.
3: (laughs) And John Brown was getting fed up and he was like, if you have to write to some girl, you might as well just send it directly to the New York Herald.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. He
1: was such a prude. Like, he, he... yeah, he was really mad about that, and he thought that's what what was uh, you know, what was gonna blow the cover or whatever. But uh, these Quakers didn't even blow his cover either, though, because the store, the Secretary of War h- heard the story from the Quakers. He thought it was the craziest fucking thing he's ever heard. And He's like, "You are crazy ass Quakers, get out of here!" So oh, yeah, get here, Quakers. also
3: G- they said that the the armory was in Maryland, so they were like, uh, so. The government official that read the letter said, "Oh, there's no armory there, so this must be just complete insanity."
1: Crazy ass oatmeal people,
4: <laughs>
2: get out of here! <laughs> <laughs> Why don't you go abstain from another war?
4: So, how did they want to free the slaves nonviolently? I presume.
2: Yeah, I mean,
1: a lot of the nonviolent people didn't really have a clear answer, or they didn't have an answer they agreed upon. It was just like mm-hmm. you know, electoral helping or them escape.
3: Yeah, putting pump. money into the into helping free slaves and helping them escape was everyone part call of it. your
2: representative. <laughs> yeah.
3: yeah, Or you could you could buy their freedom too. Raising money. Owners.
1: Yeah, they made a yeah. video. GoFundMe go where they,
2: fund me.
3: Yeah.
1: <laughs> they sang "Imagine" together on like a weird. Yeah.
3: <laughs>
2: yeah. We've gotten the three celebrities all in one painting. So <laughs> imagine. <laughs>
0: yeah
1: (laughs) we wrote a letter about it's about a thing called cancel culture
0: (laughs) i don't know some dumb shit
1: same dumb shit they do today you know that doesn't work vote vote for i don't know so um yeah so he starts to get some more people joining up though he's joined up by this guy named francis jackson Marion. merriam Who is a one-eyed and mentally challenged, dark-haired, thin young man from an abolitionist family who's really down for the cause. Basically, somebody was fundraising and he was like, oh my god, you're John Brown? Fuck, I want to join up. And, uh, yeah. so he brought like tons of, uh, money and rifles and rifle primers and percussion caps. And he, uh, was little Nicky basically. He was, uh, does it say
2: why he has one eye? Is that part of it? Yeah.
1: I don't know. He just already had, it's not from the raid. He just already had one. That's eye. another story. <laughs> yeah. and it doesn't really explain what they mean by mentally challenged because he t- did stuff in the raid. I don't know.
2: Right. He was just Catholic at the time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay saturday october 15th 1859 john brown announces the revolution will happen tomorrow on sunday because you know it's you God's get day. the theme he's going with <laughs> mm, yeah. sunday morning begins with bible service led by osborne perry anderson one of the black uh recruits officers uh appointed officers are appointed so they start to figure out who's going to do what in the raid right owen merriam barclay kopak they're sentinels for freed slaves they're going to stay at this farmhouse and sort of like help people you know the some of the softer guys here are going to stay back and help people um organize the slaves to escape and stuff like that cook and tid will cut the telephone wires so people can't send telegrams outside of town right smart Coggy and Stevenson's, KG? Kagi? I can't remember the guy's name. KG and Stevens uh, and Aaron Stevens take the bridge, watchman prisoner. Watson and Taylor would then guard the bridge with weapons. Oliver and Thompson will take the Shenandoah Bridge. Like I said, there's two bridges, and this is all set around this island. And uh, Jerry Anderson and Dauphine Thompson would seize the engine house, which will come into play later. Um, this guy Hazlitt and Edwin Kopak take the armory and so on. So there's a few key buildings that they're, they're intending to take. One of them's like a hotel. One of them's a rifle works. One of them's an armory. And then obviously eventually the arsenal, um, at 8 PM, he says, men get on your arms. We will proceed to the ferry. Everything went off pretty much perfectly at first. Um, everyone started, you know, manning their posts. Uh, they go up they take over this, this, um, guard named William Williams. Um, John sent a ma- racially mixed group uh including Stevenson's Cook, Tid Leary Green and Osborne Anderson to start freeing the slaves. They went to Colonel Lewis Washington's farm, took his sword and his gun, gave it to Osborne Anderson like the plan was. They kidnapped And then
3: Go oh, when they arrive at Lewis's house, John Cook is there, his his buddy and he's John Cook is like uh, you are now our prisoner and Lewis was like, you must be joking. What's going on? And (laughs) then Aaron Stevens was holding a torch in his house, and the sparks were flying everywhere. And Lewis was like, oh, come into my bedroom and light my candles. Please don't set my house on fire.
1: (laughs) It's so funny that they gaslit the great-grandfather or great-grandson of George Washington like that hard. Yeah. They pranked him for a year, and they were like, "Surprise!" Yeah, you got punked. Yeah, you got punked. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah Washington. Lewis Washington tried to buy them off with whiskey. He just thought they would go away if he's. Was- Do you want some whiskey instead of kidnapping me? Um, mm-hmm. They freed his slaves. They took the uh, the Lafayette pistol and the sword of Frederick the Great. They gave the pistol to Osborne Anderson and the sword of Frederick the Great to John. They did the same thing at the Allstadt farm. They took hostages to the armory, so they're starting to like uh, sort of like free the slaves, take these wagons around, take the hostages up, and consolidate all the hostages in the armory. Right. But um, and there,
3: there aren't that many slaves in town. I think we covered this, but there aren't that many.
1: Yeah, there aren't that many, which is part of why this starts to get weird, right? So they start it's free. It's a gesture. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, like
3: everybody just at, in the beginning, most people thought that they were just like robbers, who you know, because that it, it seems so crazy to be in this town to free the slaves.
1: Yeah, it didn't really make sense, and also. Uh, yeah, so if, if people figured out the abolitionists at Bent eventually, but at first they were just like they're fucking robbing the armory. Some weird northerners are coming to rob the armory. Couldn't they saw black people with them? and They were like, what, huh? Like, I don't get it. Right. <laughs> so what, the most important kind of side effect of this confusing image, though, is that. uh this is where things really started to go wrong. They freed the slaves and John Brown started going around to the slaves and going like, we're doing a slave revolt here. And then he would hand yeah. them a fucking pike with a buoy knife on the end of it. And the slave would just go like, I, what? Like, who
2: the fuck are you? <laughs> here, here, take my constitution.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I, imagine it from the slaves point of view. Like you, I, this doesn't really make any sense. There's like a mixed group of people. It's very confusing. A white guy is doing this. So after the raid, we'll jump forward a little bit just to kind of make a note about this. You know, the propaganda from the South was basically that this proves that slaves want to remain slaves, right? And that this is all a big fool's errand. And like, look how funny it is that this guy tried to free the slaves and they didn't even want to go with them. But... I think probably the better analysis of this is that, uh, you know, John Brown studied all these, like, slave uprisings. But they were all led by, like, a slave, like a charismatic, like, Nat Turner type from within the group who was black and was one of them. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, Brown would go, like, he did that mission on the last episode where he took 11 slaves, freed them, and then spent, like, fucking weeks with them going, you know like traveling upwards to Canada by the end of it fucking one of the guys named his son after John Brown like there's a you can get you know the the story to make sense after a while but just busting into someone's room handing them an archangel pike you're white like it's confusing and it's probably where the job got a little bit botched Um, right
2: you probably know the people that they're telling you to murder a lot better than this strange old man who speaks yeah. in rhyme.
0: Yeah. <laughs> also, like, I
4: think a few of them, I guess in maybe farms nearby, like saw what was happening and understood it, but we're just like, this is not going to work. So we're not going to like join this because it's, you know it's futile everyone's gonna get killed
1: yeah a few a few blacks uh freed i think freed blacks that were walking around did join but for the most part it was uh yeah it looked like a fucking suicide mission and also the other thing is that slaves like knew how hard that they would punish the slaves after this the white people would probably get away like a little bit easier i mean they were doing medieval shit to slaves that tried to run away yeah Um, yeah
3: and what so nat turner's rebellion was like 20 years earlier and a lot of militia had been set up especially around this area to to thwart these kinds of attacks
1: yeah i mean this is you know you're black and then a white guy runs up to you and he goes we're gonna go fight the cops together you're like have (laughs) fun guy like i'm not going with you you know Uh, um KG Coggy I'm gonna call him Coggy I I don't know how this name is pronounced
3: Coggy I think it is
1: Coggy and Stevens (laughs) Coggy and Stevens uh warned John Brown to meet them at the rifle works and retreat and everything probably would have went off pretty well if he had done that if he had kind of given up on this plan of holding the arsenal and retreated into the woods like what was his plan you know but he decided to wait for the hive and then use his hostages to escape or die fighting from the armory. Eventually Who
3: told yeah. him about the hive? <laughs> yeah. What
2: happened to the plan? I don't
1: know.
3: Yeah. He basically told his hostages, like, yeah, we have like 1,500 men on their way right now.
1: Yeah. Because yeah. He, those were men he assumed would be activated. He didn't actually have yeah. them.
3: But I, I think he also knew to project, like, this, the amount of men, or, like, to kind of deceive people as to how many men he actually had.
2: Well, the sale is about confidence, but I guess my question is just, like, did he have a reason, specifically, he thought there was a hive coming, or this is just... uh, uh, this is imagination at work at this point? I
4: think... Well, there's part of him that really did believe that... Slaves would see this happening and just join it.
3: Yeah, know? but yeah, he also planned on holding the arsenal more than t- three days, so or two days. Yeah,
4: yeah, <laughs> so if they were able to distribute weapons. That would have been sort of a feasible plan. Like, it's the
2: a- same thing with the uh, the Weather Underground uh, uprising. They did. They were like, we're gonna fight cops, and then question mark and then we yeah. killed all the cops. Yeah.
3: <laughs> no, he did have a, a very detailed plan, but he wasn't, he just had all these ideas that were just plain wrong. Like, you know, most military men say that hills are better to shoot from, but actually it's the ravine. <laughs> and, and then,
0: <laughs> why did he like
3: that? <laughs> well, I don't know why he thought that. He just made things up that, like, he he did think through the plan a lot, but well I think um, that
1: the answer to both the hive and the strategy question here are that he it's all that he just had a motif going on of wilderness that made sense in his mm-hmm. like grand you know, he was getting artistic with this shit a little bit and like talking about how like, you know, it was preordained and stuff. And so he saw the saw nature as being very symbolic, which is why the transcendentalists liked him so much, because that was their same thing.
2: That's the danger of hanging out with Transcendentalists, is you just up living like a poem afterwards and you get killed.
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh, but he also, Fun you know...
2: tactics aren't the same as, like, a dove's flight into the woods or whatever. <laughs>
1: yeah. He also got the, the run into the wilderness thing from, like, just studying slave uprisings and stuff. But, um... Either way, he didn't do it, so that didn't, you know. That that's when things start to go wrong. Another thing that really set off, like the beginning of when things got really botched and really fucked, was this. So, uh, two of his guys had taken Patrick, uh, they'd taken Williams, Williams, William Williams, the fucking uh, night watchman of one of the bridges, and the sun started going.
2: Barely down. a name.
1: Yeah,
3: Williams Williams.
1: <laughs> so, his relief, the night night watchman, Patrick Higgins, saw that the lights were out and became suspicious. And he walked over to see what was going on in, like, I guess, the fucking toll booth or whatever the fuck this guy worked in and was grabbed by Oliver Brown. Oliver Brown tells him to halt, and he said, that I didn't know what that word meant. (laughs) That was some weird northern (laughs) word. And so he goes, come with me, and he drags him. And so he's starting to come with Oliver Brown, but then he notices the guns and pikes laying everywhere, and he fucking punches Oliver Brown in the face, and he makes a break for it. Uh, he runs to a saloon called the Galt House, where uh, Stuart Taylor, another guard, saw him running. Right, and he
2: down f- here we don't know halt, we know we Galt.
1: Yeah, uh, <laughs> So this other guard sees him running for some reason and fires his rifle at him, grazing his skull and knocking his hat off like an old Western movie. So, Higgins scrambled into the saloon. The barkeep assumed he was drunk out of his mind cuz he was yelling and freaking out, and so the barkeep Roberts goes off the bridge. Yeah, the barkeep goes out to investigate, only to be taken captive by Oliver Brown. So, then all this is happening, and at 1:25 a.m., a train comes rolling through, and Higgins runs out uh. to stop the train. It stops there, and there's a standoff with gunfire from the Browns. And this guy named Shepard Hayward, who's a freed black man who works on the train as a baggage handler, walks out. He tries to find Williams because it's a stop and he's supposed to talk to the night watchman. And uh, the original guard, uh, or yeah, the original guard, Williams, and Oliver and Taylor point rifles at him. They tell him to stop. He doesn't. And the first casualty of Harper's Ferry raid is fucking Oliver Brown shoots and kills a black guy. So... Off
3: no. the bag. Oh, yeah. Not it's, a good so so luck
2: chief. Yeah.
1: It's
3: so sad. Um yeah, and it, then actually uh there was there were statues uh put up of Hayward Shepherd or Shepherd Hayward Hayward Shepherd. Shepard Shepherd Hayward. No. Shepherd Hayward. Hey, William
2: Williams. <laughs> yeah, no, they all have really William weird Williams.
3: names. <laughs> but they did like uh, the, there were Confederate statues put up during reconstruction. Um, or like Confederate-funded of Hayward Shepard, like saying that this was the first casualty of Harper's Ferry, and you know, it was a black man. They they didn't sympathize. They didn't really abolitionists didn't really sympathize with black people, and they got his name wrong on the statue. Man, <laughs> right <there>, northern aggression.
1: <laughs> oh man, so
3: that guy Hayward Williams Shepard Williams.
1: Is that like a character like Shepard Hayward? Is like one of those people who's like. I don't like bubbles on the wire or something. Just caught in the middle of a bunch of other people's yeah. bullshit. It
3: was yeah, it was just really unfortunate. <laughs> but also that confused a lot of people because because they didn't believe that it was a mission to free the slaves. Yeah, since they had shot the first guy they killed was a, a black guy. No,
1: so. it's real bad. It's a, it's a big yikes. It's not good, and it's uh, yeah. <laughs> big yikes. Then when the they con- should rethink this, Confederate, <laughs> try to. Uh, like you're saying, the Confederates try to take him on as like their own cause. They misspell his name. Everyone's this is just bad. This guy's just fucking <laughs> wrong place, wrong time. He
2: becomes a ghost for sure. He's a vengeful but, ghost. Yeah. Um,
1: so let's see. Uh, Cook, Tid, and Lehman captured the slaveholder named Terrence Burns. Cook, Tid, and the freed blacks consolidated at the schoolhouse with the arms. Brown allowed the train to leave. Which completely fucked him over because, like, you're going to allow the train to leave. Why did you cut the goddamn telegraph wires, right? Yeah, the tr- train's immediately going to tell people that you know, even if they don't know what's happening, they think there's just there's a robbery happening. So,
2: right, they sent a guy out and he got killed. Make sure you tell the next town,
3: <laughs> yeah,
2: even yeah. if you don't know what it is. <laughs> he later says that this is him Washington.
3: Being, the, they wired Washington.
1: Yeah. The, Um, At 7.05 a.m., the train conductor wires news of the raid to the Secretary of War, W.P. Smith. He dismisses it as crazy again. But uh, the president of Baltimore and Ohio Railroad, the railroad company, sees the message and messages President... Buchanan or telegraphs him, uh, Governor Wise of Virginia, and fucking everybody, and then it starts to get out. So the president, the governor of Virginia, everyone starts to catch wind of what's going on. Right at ten thirty a.m., they start to put troops together. Um, then Doctor Starry, who had tended to the dying Shepherd Haywood, does uh, like Paul Revere shit. Like he starts going around, and he's saying like, eh, these "Fucking people are coming." Um, they thinks they're robbers still. Brown uh, trades a prisoner for breakfast for his men because they're starting to get hungry. Uh, He doesn't eat it, though, because he thinks it's, like, poisoned. He starts to get, like, a little bit crazy. He's like, yeah, it doesn't make any sense. He's holed up in this, you know, in this armory. The plants start to fall apart. Um, He has, like, 35 prisoners. They're machinists and armors and stuff. Dangerfield newbie for some reason, shoots just a random Irish grocer. Dangerfield newbie's a black guy the grocer's white so there's just all sorts of they don't know why like they just bad sh- their plan's not going off very well right higgins goes to get water and runs into oliver and um so higgins was one of the guys who was tending to shepherd haywood right and he runs into oliver brown at like a water spigot And he goes, hey, man, like, uh, you know, what the fuck are you guys doing? And Oliver Brown, I swear to God, is what he says. He says, this is a darky affair. But he says it like he's, like, bragging. Like, you guys hate black people, right? We're here to free. And that's how he says it. And Higgins, the guy from the town, goes, you fucking idiot. You shot a black guy. I'm literally, like, trying to save his life right now. (laughs) I'm just going to put this out there. The Brown kids have, like, Venture Brothers kids energy like they're very dumb they're, their dad's in charge and they're they fucking fuck everything yeah. up. they
2: um, have very little agency in the situation I almost feel bad mm. for them a little bit
3: yeah Brown does apologize to the train conductor and say you know we didn't mean to spill any blood it was my dumb guardsman slash son <laughs> yeah my foolish boys
2: <laughs> I should have left them for the wolves <laughs> <laughs> yeah
3: yeah, dude, he's
1: fucking uh McAfee. <laughs>
3: yeah. yeah. Like foolish boys. You can go to jail for attempting
1: <laughs>
3: attempting a slave insurrection.
1: Yeah. Um the townspeople and local militia begin to form up and rush the bridges and Brown orders five uh to push them or orders fire to push them back. Dangerfield newbie is killed. Oh, no no respect. Uh, Take
2: his life, please.
1: (laughs) 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 Newbie's body is fucking mutilated. So around this time, I think that the town starts to figure out that these people are abolitionists and that they're working with black people. And then they go from being mad at robbers to being good old fashioned southern border ruffian psycho racist people because they kill Newbie, and they cut off his ears, his dick. They poke sticks in his bullet wounds. They throw him in a gutter to feed wild
2: hogs. Thirty to wow. fifty, you know. It's not funny, Anders.
3: <laughs> yeah, why did you laugh right now? That was our friend, Dangerfield, hogs.
2: newbie. Hogs.
3: What the, the Washington football team should have been named? No, That's
2: <laughs> the Washington Hogs. Washington That's a good idea. Hogs. Uh, I don't
4: know why he laughed, but yeah. I that mean, I, a reason to not name them
2: that, I
1: guess. Hogs is a funny. I give you that. Um, it's gallows humor, folks. Uh, all right. Uh, militia raids. Uh, or a militia raids the rifle works, pushing Coggy and Leary into the Shenandoah River. River. Coggy falls in after being shot, and he drowns immediately. Leary is shot and dies the next day in a Cooper shop. Copeland is stranded on a rock and taken hostage. John Brown, um, realizing he's starting to get screwed, tries negotiating hostages. The Marylanders take Thompson, this guy he gives out as a hostage, and then they just tell him to fuck off. So he starts to realize negotiating is probably not going to work, right? Brown moves hmm. with his freedmen. Uh, some of his men and all eleven of his most important, or an eleven of his most important hostages, to the fire engine house, which will later become known in history as John Brown's Fort, because this is where he made his last stand. The fire engine cool. house.
3: Has, oh, wait, did you miss the schoolhouse?
1: Um, i I think. Tell me about what's going on there. I've got some notes, but they're probably not written kind of in order.
3: Oh no! So John and Stevens go into this schoolhouse nearby that was had a full classroom of kids and John cook goes inside and says, uh, don't move anyone. We just need to store weapons in this room and please continue learning.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> you can count our rifles. I mean, it's a,
1: Write
4: a poem about
1: that's a lot like school today, you know?
4: Yeah. yeah. yeah
1: that's true. Um, so the
2: fire engine Active house shooter drill. John Brown is freeing the slaves.
3: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that would make it way more fun. I think. Yeah, I'm
1: badass. Oh.
3: <laughs> I wish I had thought of that when I was teaching. <laughs>
1: so the thing about the uh, fire engine house is that it's got these three gigantic, uh, heavy oak doors. Two of them, are, I think, are a big set of double doors, which he does his main action out of. Um, Brown. Sends out uh, sends out his son uh, Watson. Aaron Stevens in a hostage. Stevens is fucking riddled with bullets. Uh, Stevens is his friend who did the Django and Change shit at Osawatomie. Killed that guy inside of his house, who he figured out was trying to kill him. Stevens is a badass assassin, but he's fucking just cut into ribbons. He's still alive though. He survives the whole endeavor after just being shot full of lead. Um, he would have died except a hostage named John or Joseph Brewer rushed him to aid. And then this hostage, Joseph Brewer, for some reason, returned to being a hostage. He's an idiot. Uh, he didn't have to do that. Dumbass! <laughs> Watson is uh, shot in the bowels and drags himself into the floor of the engine house. And he's just dying out, bleeding out while his dad is making his last stand. Will Lehman. I
4: that's one of the worst places to be shot.
1: It sounds like it
2: sucks.
4: Yeah, uh, I don't even want to know where that actually is. It <laughs> sounds rough.
2: It's your intestines; they're all they're like here. they keep moving the whole time. It's
3: terrible. Oh. Yeah. Um. Well, it would certainly cure your constipation. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't know.
2: Folks, I shit out my front. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Folks,
4: maybe I just like digest the bullet and get it stuck in there. No,
2: I went to go free the slaves, but I only ended up freeing the lunch from the front of my body.
1: (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I'm a real John Brown. If you catch my drift. (laughs) All right. Will Lehman tells John he's going to check on the schoolhouse and he just bolts into the river where he's shot but manages his way uh, onto a boulder. A Richmond man wades into the river with his revolver over his head. Lehman yells, don't shoot, I surrender, I was running away. The man smiles and levels his gun, revealing that he was raising his gun in the air to keep it from getting wet. He Hmm. blows his whole fucking face off. And then a million Southerners convene to use the fucking body as target practice and just shoot it to goddamn bits. Um, So, they're really mad now. Cook climbs a tree, uh, shoots into the crowd. Someone shoots back at him. He decides to uh, make a break for it. Uh, He does get caught, though. Schoolhouse is eventually abandoned. And Tid, Owen, Merriam, all those people all circle back to the farmhouse to plan an escape to the mountains. Um, The mayor, a man named Fontaine Beckham, who is well-liked. I know, it's fucking awesome.
2: Schoolhouse just sounds like another of the guys in the
0: party. Yeah.
1: My name is Schoolhouse Jones. Okay. Uh the the mayor it's Fontaine Beckham is like he's actually like a really well liked person in town by both whites and freed blacks. Like he's pretty moderate. He um like for example, in his will I don't know, I guess this is like progressive for this area at this time, but in his will it's uh condition is that all his slaves will be freed when he dies. Which I cool, I guess sort of All right. Yeah. He's
2: a good guy.
1: And they do get freed because what happens is he goes out unarmed just to see what's going on and is shot through the shoulder and upper body by Edwin Coppick one of Brown's men's. The crowd, which is already by the way drunk, is now fucking furious cuz they killed the mayor, right? So the crowd uh raids the wager house, which is uh the hotel that a couple of them had kind of taken. They pull Thompson out into the street, and he says, "You may take my life, but 80,000 will rise up to avenge me and carry out my purpose of uh, giving liberty to the slaves." He says that and then they take him to a railroad trestle and use him as target practice before dropping him into the river. The last thing you see is his ghastly face underneath the river. Um, I. Don't- I don't know how how this guy... This guy wrote very, like, descriptively like this, his book. But it's like, you weren't there. I don't know how you know his face was so ghastly. Sounds cool, though. Um... Yeah. Marylanders are now fully aware that they're fighting abolitionists. And they're also drunk. Oliver is shot through the bowels. Through the double doors. And drags his body onto the middle of the floor. Just like his brother. Um more militias start arriving, there's more standoffs. Osborne, Anderson, and Hazlitt escape to the farmhouse. Captain Sin, this guy named Captain Sin, negotiates. He goes to the wager house, finds Stevens being ridiculed. <laughs> so, Stevens, after he's shot to shit, he lives and he makes it to the hotel, and this captain comes and he finds the fucking ruffians basically just, like, roasting him while he's, like, kind of dying. <laughs> He says, if this man could stand You're on his... You're
3: bleeding on your pants. Like, what are you
0: <laughs>
1: Yeah. My man, look at his shirt. It's all red and shit.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, he says, if this man could stand on his feet, he would clean you all out in a second. So he's this weird captain who just kind of realizes what's going on. Um, Brown now has just Edwin Copic, Jeremiah Anderson, and Dauphine Thompson, and Shields Green. And two dying sons one of his sons begs John Brown to shoot him in the head and put him out of his misery to which Brown replies die like a man (laughs) oh my god yeah
3: (laughs) also he probably didn't want to shoot his son
1: probably also yeah fair enough Um,
2: it's a weird I've just never thought about the situation before I guess (laughs)
1: let me find this bookmark so, at 11 p.m., Robert E. Lee arrives at Harper's Ferry. And, um, and then it's all over. The shit starts to really go down. Okay, so Robert E. Lee arrives, and he's got with him uh, his first lieutenant and his second lieutenant. And he starts to ask his men, who would like the honor of killing John Brown, right? Or no, no, I'm sorry. He doesn't know it's John Brown. Who who, who just wants to take these motherfuckers out, Right. And um, so a lot of people say, turn the job down, saying it's really dangerous, saying you should send in, like, your first or second lieutenant, right? So his first lieutenant is a guy named J.E.B. Stewart. And J.E.B. Stewart, how do I explain this? There's a big reveal. He goes to the fucking door. And, you know, Brown has basically got these two big oak doors, like, open but like held to where they're only open a crack that he can shoot through with like ropes and stuff he's all rigged up to where he has this like kind of murder hole thing going and jb stewart thinks that they're fighting a gang of abolitionists called the smiths because everyone figures out that it was this group of people that were hanging out at the kennedy house right Ah. But the thing is, J.E.B. Stewart fought John Brown at Osawatomie right? So oh. he goes yeah. up to the double doors. He looks through, and inadvertently, Brown just happens to be looking out the doors at the same time. And he sees, like, the beard and everything. He looks John Brown right in the eyes, and he oh. says, oh, my God, Smith is Brown. You're Osawatomie
2: Brown, Right. I came in here to kill Morrissey. (laughs) (laughs) What the fuck is this?
1: (laughs) John Brown has a gun, like a revolver, aimed right at his face. And later on... Why doesn't he shoot? J.B. Stewart says he could have fucking blown my head off right at that moment, but he doesn't for some weird principled reason, and he always kind of respects him for it. Um, So... (laughs)
2: I respect you not killing me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's one of my biggest principles is not killing me.
3: If you don't shoot me in the fucking face, (laughs) I respect you.
1: It might be one of those things where they just both are like, oh my God, it's you, like at the same time. Because neither of them expected to see the guy that they fought at their fucking last battle, like face to face like that. Um, They
2: kiss just a little bit
1: yeah (laughs) what if we kissed in john brown's fort or whatever Um, what
2: if we kissed (laughs) this might be crazy but all my sons are dead
1: (laughs) so stewart backs off a little bit and lee's men start rushing the doors with sledgehammers but they're giant thick oak doors so no avail they're not cracking the doors his second lieutenant Israel Green finally makes a crack he he goes up he manages to break off like the bottom corner of one of the doors and create like a hole that you can duck through and he sneaks inside and when he sneaks inside he eventually comes upon Lewis Washington the prized hostage who recognizes him and yells this is Osawatomi here and uh he points to John Brown. So Green, who's also carrying a sword, mind you. John Brown and and Green both have fucking swords on them at this point, And they're like the only people doing battle with each other. Because no, the rest of the army hasn't made it through the fucking hole yet. He sees Brown. He pulls his sword out. And he runs and goes to fucking gut John Brown or stab him through the chest. He doesn't realize... That he woke up in a hurry because all this was fucking happening. He grabbed a decorative sword, so yeah. it doesn't kill John Brown. <laughs> He's <at> it, like a <laughs> hit a belt buckle and it just flanged off like it was from fucking like a pirate sword from Party City or something. Uh, so yeah. <laughs> he, so he just starts wanging <laughs> him in the head with it, and he manages to he manages to get these like huge lacerations and cuts going on John Brown's head. Right, and for the rest of the battle and through his trial and everything. If you don't know this, if you get cut on the head, it's like kind of the most you'll bleed more than like any other part of your body. But it actually a lot of times isn't actually a serious like wound because your skull is so thick. So if you don't hit a nerve or anything or damage your skull, you just that's why like pro wrestlers will just like kind of hit their head with a fucking razor blade when they want to like look really gory after a move or something. It's just a lot of red blood just comes out because on your face looks fucking crazy, right? So, right,
2: you only use 10% of the blood in your head.
3: Yeah. Anders uses point oh two.
2: Yeah. use more of the blood in your head, idiot. <laughs> yeah, taking shots at Anders for no reason. <laughs>
1: so, the rest of this whole time, he's just bleeding out the fucking head. It he looks like a lunatic, right? And uh, they basically take him down. Anderson and Thompson are fucking skewered while trying to surrender. So... Two of his men, by the way, at this point, have um, decided to, they've actually long since decided to surrender. Anderson and Thompson both asked John at one point, are we guilty of treason right now? Because they're yelling that this is treasonous. And they start to chicken out because they realize they're going to be, like, I guess, hanged for that. Although you're going to be hanged anyway. What did
2: you think you were doing? Right. (laughs) At what point in this entire operation where you're killing people and freeing the slaves, you're like, I think I could retire. (laughs) (laughs) Well,
3: yeah, some of them did go on the mission thinking, like, my family won't be poor after this and I'm going to be successful and famous.
2: Right. If you were one of uh, uh, John Brown's 12 idiot children, I guess that's (laughs) justifiable, but everybody else should know better.
1: Yeah. But it's a really crazy moment in history because, you know, I mean, his whole expedition's gone wrong. His whole campaign is uh, is, uh, kind of falling apart around him. His sons are dying. He's yelling at them, like, shut up and die like a man. His men is (laughs) like his... You know, right hand men around him are flipping and they're going like, no, we got to escape. We uh, you know, I, I don't want to do this anymore. And he's the only fucking person who just digs his feet into the ground right up until a guy's like stabbing him. And he never compromises all the way through the whole endeavor. Right. He isn't we'll get to his trial and everything, but he doesn't compromise at all. And that's really what makes all of this work, right? So after they capture him, you know, they, they send the slaves back to be fucking slaves. Um, he, you know, they free the hostages and then they start to interview him for, like, press and his trial and stuff like that. And this is when they start publishing his letters to his correspondents in the North and his declaration and all this stuff. And all this stuff has kind of the inadvertent effect of making him like really popular actually eventually, but we'll get to that because it's kind of a, it's kind of a process, right? So let's see.
2: Yeah. It's interesting how the, uh, the propaganda of the, of the crusade to free slaves is so much more attractive than actually what happened where yeah. it was like a slip town banditry gone wrong.
3: Yeah, but it would it would be so impossible to to recruit slaves because there was such there were such strict rules about where slaves could travel or even where black f- freedmen could travel. It it was also just like strategically almost impossible.
2: Yeah. Right, which is why nobody else was doing it and it kind of took Yeah. this insane man whether <laughs> we like him or not to get it started.
0: <laughs>
1: okay all right i have a, this is where i kind of notes get a little bit less linear but we'll talk let's talk a little bit about what goes on after this right so garrett smith um well let's start here so oh yeah i'm recording okay
3: Oh, also all the townspeople go and just watch the massacre happen and they they like check out the dead bodies and stuff they're like walking around with their girlfriends like <laughs> check out the corpses oh, okay. oh yeah. yeah i mean
1: you remember the like the ruffians and shit that he's been fighting this whole story this is like he went to their town like when you i don't know in like world of warcraft or something you drop your guy in the enemy like every like you're just right. in a fucking hive you know um so Press there,
2: X to spectate racistly <laughs> <laughs> so
1: yeah one thing that happens is his financial backers, most of them become really paranoid when the news comes out about what happened because he's basically seen as, at first, like a Unabomber terrorist, like Ruby Ridge type thing. And two things kind of form. Uh, Two opinions, right? In the North, there's an opinion that, well, you know, I agree with why he did it, but I don't agree how he did it. I like his politics, but not his method. And oddly enough, in the South, it's the reverse. Um, in the South, every as soon as he starts talking, everyone really respects just how much of a fucking cowboy he is, and how hardcore and like uh, rigid and, and principled he is. But they don't just they don't they don't agree that the slaves should be freed. So it's like this reluctant thing where they're like, you have to admit that was pretty fucking cool.
2: That was a pretty badass. Yeah. <laughs> I like the shooting people, but I don't know, the <laughs> slavery part, I don't know about that.
4: <laughs> the shooting so was it. great. So I do do more of that. So I feel about the song Sweet Home in Alabama. <sighs> It's a good song. Don't necessarily agree with the message.
1: Right? It's everyone is like, uh, he's like Danzig. Like, I love the Misfits, but uh, <laughs> this guy's sucks or whatever. Or they're the other way around. Um. So, but in the north, his financial backers start becoming really paranoid that they're going to be arrested for being like connected to this whole thing. So the one who goes the most insane is Garrett Smith, who, uh. Like all of his letters to Brown are published, and he denies them. But then he turns around to try to like join Brown in prison at one point, and eventually he's just committed to the New York State Asylum in Utica and remains insane all the way through the Civil War. But a lot of people think he was just like quote unquote insane because he just like you know, he politically was untouchable if he's in an asylum or whatever. Mm. Um, but all
3: the all of his financial backers were like so rich that were still untouchable
1: yeah um sanborn and douglas flee the secret six all flee uh they start burning documents a lot of them, you know go a little bit crazy um do you know a little bit about what Douglas happens?
3: flees douglas flees to canada also
1: yeah can you do you know a little bit about kind of what happens to douglas after this
3: well, he's just basically on the run. Everybody thinks he's kind of the mastermind of this operation, but they also have, like, letters that prove his connection to Brown. Um, and... He, Douglas,
2: we know you're the hive. <laughs> yeah. You're in charge of the swarm, Douglas. We have you dead at arms.
3: <laughs> yeah, but uh, as, like, political opinion changes in favor of Brown, you... Uh, Douglas starts to speak in support of, of Brown as well and says like he was willing to die for the slave I'm willing to speak for the slave yeah like that.
1: yeah I mean that's kind of where everyone that's the tack most people take, right? Because they're all just terrified of being associated. And and the it, what's happening is that they're, uh, you know, they're cowering to public consensus. They're going with the flow, which is the thing that Brown stood against forever. I mean, he's a real iconoclast. So what happens is everyone except for like parker and higginson from the secret six uh kind of turns but they remain loyal they try to bust him out of jail that guy uh lysander spooner that anarchist they had a back and forth with tries to bust him out of jail too his plan is to kidnap (laughs) governor wise of uh uh virginia with um a tugboat <laughs> and hold him ransom yeah. in a tugboat, but he just can never get the funds together. I think uh, neither Oot, can they. Toot. <laughs> yeah. Um,
4: Three toots means I've killed him. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, but it's uh,
2: to recognize he was a primitive cartoon mouse at the time.
1: <laughs> yeah, he's <laughs> that's a steamboat Willie. Um, so. And this is where I'm going to, like, kind of make an editorial note here, I guess, about this book I'm reading. Um, So this book I'm reading, I think, maybe is written with a little bit of bias. because it, But also, this might be true. I can't tell. So if anyone knows anything contrary to this, feel free to, like, tweet at me or email me or whatever. But um, something I didn't really know about this and that this story written here makes, like, a, a point of telling is that essentially... All of this is undone by Henry David Thoreau because, um, you know, he's on a fast track to be considered a blip in history and just a weird lunatic that everyone's going to disassociate themselves with. Everyone's kind of doing like Epstein shit, where they're like, "I didn't actually ever go to the farmhouse with that guy." No, yeah. I kept my underwear <laughs> on, you know. <laughs>
3: There's paintings of you at the farmhouse.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I never went to North Elba. (laughs) Um, Chris
2: Tucker, you will be my ant queen.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, But what happens is Thoreau starts writing about him in his journal, and he's just journaling about him, and he's publishing a little bit, and eventually he gives a talk. And his talk is like they try to like stop him from speaking in Concord like it's like too controversial. They don't advertise it and shit, but he gives some sort of incredible speech and then it starts to get people a little bit on the side of John Brown and from there he convinces R- Ralph Waldo Emerson Uh, to write about what's going on and talk about what's going on and ralph waldo emerson at the time is like you know him and mark twain are like fucking chris rock and louis ck or whatever of you know 10 years ago like like they're like the biggest of poems public maybe yeah (laughs) but you know what i mean like they're like the biggest fucking uh public speakers they're like you know traveling around they draw these huge crowds they get paid a ton of money and so
2: i really stuck on ralph waldo emerson just being like you ever want to fuck your own daughter (laughs) (laughs) in the woods (laughs) beautiful kind of like my daughter yeah (laughs)
0: looking
1: good my dick is like a dragonfly um So, Emerson starts to go around and give these speeches, and suddenly there's this, like, cultural turn. Um, Actually, I'm skipping ahead a little bit, though. That's because this book is kind of written out of order. So, that happens uh, a little bit later. But um, first, let's talk about the trial. Um, He's taken a trial, and the fucking trial, I swear to God, it's one of the funniest things in this whole story. Because him and Aaron Stevens are, like, just beat to shit. And so... They're put on a cot and a mattress where they're just laid out in the middle of the room, <laughs> and Brown just like lays down, and then like when it's it his to turn to talk, he gets up and he just says some wild shit, and then he just goes back to sleep, and the spectators are just they're literally eating peanuts and throwing the shells on the floor like you're at Logan's Roadhouse or something.
0: Yeah,
1: um, they're smoking cigars, they're doing they're just chewing tobacco and spitting the spit on the floor and like the, the the fucking the description of the room is so funny because everyone has their legs up on the table like his defense attorney sits in a chair with his legs up on the table and then like the prosecutor is also like leaning back and going well I disagree while his legs are like up on a table everyone's smoking a cigar the judge is presiding over the court while leaning back in a chair with his legs up on a table everyone is doing yeah. this weird southern court <laughs> shit where they're just like can't be bothered or whatever and, uh, I guess. White people have
2: too much power. <laughs>
3: to yeah, but they didn't they like push to have him tried in Virginia rather than in the, in Washington.
1: They did because he technically the crime was committed on federal property, but that came up like in the. Uh, the trial and uh, eventually they just overturned it because I guess they used something called precedent which is just like well other crimes that have happened at the armory have been taken to trial locally so uh, fuck you you know and
0: yeah.
1: he has this um the, <laughs> the first lawyer that is prosecuting him his name is Charles B. Harding Charles B. Harding falls asleep all the time he's smoking the whole time <laughs> the judge keeps yelling for order and he's um
3: order i mean wake up
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah he's fucking drunk the whole time and he has a black eye and at one point the judge asks him like why do you have a black eye and he says well last night i got into a fist fight with a blind (laughs) n-word and (laughs) 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 it's like wait a minute a you fought a blind guy and he beat your <laughs> ass. <laughs> it's so fucking good. Everyone, it's just Southern lawyer guy all over the place. And like Harding is dismissed from the court after the, the I fought a fucking drunk guy or whatever thing. I fought a black, a blind black guy while I was drunk. Um,
2: you would wish they were a simple Southern chicken.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so. Brown's defense is a team of Lawson Bolts and Thomas C. Green. Uh, Green is loud and boisterous and says war and thar a lot. And uh, he, he brings up the federal property thing. I think Bolts is the one that brings up. There's this photo they try to bring up to uh, claim insanity because the, uh, you know, Potawatomi gets brought into this whole thing and they try to use it as an insanity case because uh, maybe he's just a crazy murderer, you know? Well, then you have to fucking yeah. sentence him to jail. Maybe you can't you hang him, right? And so as a proof of his, like, <laughs> insanity, they find this photo that he took shortly after Pottawatomie. And he was really rattled after Potawatomi. But um, mm-hmm. the photo is just a weird photograph. I think it was just taken, like, you know, you just, sometimes your camera's moving when you fucking you take the photo and it's smeared a little bit he looks really weird yeah. he's got one eyebrow up and just this weird like fucking kind of frowny thing going on and he looks like that emoji <laughs> with like the tongue out basically uh, yeah but he's it's not proof of insanity though
2: so the <laughs> picture they're trying to sell the insanity on like look at this crazy picture
3: <laughs> yeah yeah uh. It's just it's I a, wouldn't post it, but
2: <laughs> it's also a very interesting defense to be like, he's not an anti-racist revolutionary. He's a madman. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's killing at will across America.
1: <laughs> yeah. um, this Boston lawyer named George Henry Hoyt appears and joins the, the his defense team. Uh, which is really odd because he's this young guy with like no beard and he's like, uh he's boy- boyish looking and they don't know where he came from. But he's actually a spy sent by northern abolitionists uh, as part of a plan to break him out of jail. And he contacts Brown and he tells him about it. But Brown doesn't want to be broken out of jail. He eventually oh, just
3: man. wants to die. He, he fucking <laughs> right. just
1: wants to die. It's so hardcore. He. Yeah. um becomes furious during, uh, Brown be- at one point becomes furious during Hunter. His, a uh, uh, sorry, his, op- the drunk lawyer gets replaced with a guy named Hunter, uh, Hunter's recollection of the killing of William Thompson. That's the guy that they just tore to shreds. Um, that's the only time Brown got mad during the trial is just when they were describing just, just desecrating the shit out of his friend. And, um, eventually bots and green are dismissed. And now it's, uh, this boy, spy boy, Hoyt, and then these two new lawyers, Chilton and Griswold. Um, he's gives his self-defense, which I'm going to pull up. Uh, let's see. Uh, where is it? Come on. Book app.
3: And they also try to dig up his family history of insanity in the family to be like, look, he's insane. And then John Brown gets up and says, no, I'm not.
0: <laughs>
1: every time they try to get him off by saying he's insane, he demonstrates that he kind of isn't, which really at this point, he's, yeah, he's bent on death. It's insane. At one point, Well,
2: he, I mean, there is a part where it's like all of you essentially led all of your children to a violent death. Maybe he just has depression, but I bet that wasn't <laughs> it for him.
1: I don't know, man. I don't know. I'm kind of a believer because, you know, the only reason that, like his message really worked is because he didn't back out and everyone was just so impressed by his principle. And so he gives this huge speech at one point when he's just like doing that crazy shit where someone defends themselves in court, he says, uh, I may have, uh, I have, may it please the court a few words to say in the first place, I deny everything, but, w- uh, what I have all along admitted of a design on my part to free the slaves. I intended certainly to have made a clean thing of that matter as I did last winter when I went into Missouri and took the slaves without their, s- without the snapping of a gun on either side, moving. That's not true. By the way, moving through <laughs> yeah. the country, Finally leaving them in Canada. I designed to have done the same thing on a larger scale. That was all I intended. I never meant to intend... Uh, never- did intend to murder or treason or destruction of property or to excite or to incite slaves to rebellion. That's also not true. I have another objection that is the, uh, uh, that it is unjust and that I should suffer such a penalty. Had I interfered in the manner which I admit and which I admit has been fairly, uh, proved for, I admire the truthfulness and the candor of the great portion of the witnesses who have testified in this case. Have I so interfered on behalf of the rich, the powerful, the intelligent, and the so-called great, or in behalf of any of their friends, where whether father, mother, brother, sister, wife, or children, or any of that class, and suffered and sacrificed what I have in the interference, it would have been all right. Every man in this court would have deemed it an act worthy of reward rather than punishment. The court acknowledges to, I suppose, the validity of the law of God. I see a book, kissed, which I suppose to be the Bible, or at least the New Testament, which teaches me all the things whatsoever that I would... Uh, I would that men should do to me I should do even so to them it teaches me further to remember them that are in the bonds as bound with them I endeavor to act up the uh, to act up to that instruction I am yet too young to understand that God is any respecter of persons I believe that to have interfered as I have done I have always freely admitted I have done in behalf of his despised poor I did no wrong but right now if it is deemed necessary that I should forfeit my life for my furtherance of the ends of justice and mingle my blood further with the blood of millions in the slave country whose rights are disregarded by wicked, cruel, and unjust act, uh, enactments, I say, let it be done. And then everyone was like, holy shit. That was badass. Uh, everyone got silent yeah. after that. And the thing you notice, and I just kind of butchered his weird old English or whatever, but he, he basically invokes the law of God. And that's part of why the South can't really was like, get him. Oh,
3: you got us! Yeah. <laughs> oh.
1: He really does defeat people with logic. I also Jesus know that this book Ezekiel? is this <laughs> this book is seems like it might have been written by a libertarian type person because they're like he defeats them with logic. Uh, individuals can you know affect history in this way or whatever. There are some things going on, so take that with a grain of salt. But you know, argument could be made that, uh, yeah, I mean, he really dumbfounded his audience and yeah.
3: a lot of, but the- I also think the, uh, he, you know, kind of, he was successful in the way that he just scared the shit out of everyone in the South. And especially around Harper's Ferry, people started to pour into the town and from the surrounding counties where people were in more rural areas and, they were afraid that there were more John Brown troops coming and they were poured into the town and everybody thought that there were so many more men. So I think he just, you know, was successful in that way too.
2: Yeah. I have to wonder if it would have been more politically useful. Like I know this wasn't a pragmatic person, but if he did just, Escape from jail when the guy gave him the opportunity, everybody could be afraid he's coming back.
3: Yeah, yeah. true. But he I would think
2: have maybe done more for the struggle if he wasn't such a weird zealot. Well, but at that point,
4: he was kind of like in his element, though. Like he liked having the opportunity to like hold court at the jail, so to speak, and like talk to people and give his uh, view of the world and, and answer yeah. questions and like
3: that. But he also. He also knew he was going to be, you know, a powerful symbol as a martyr. Like not only the fear of people attacking you, the fear of abolitionists who are fucking crazy and willing to die. So if you love having slaves that much, you have to be also willing to die for them.
1: Yeah. That's what he after this, he definitely got really into the martyr thing. Like, obviously, it's this whole fucking thing, right? But, um, and you notice, like, in his speech, he does say, like, uh, you know, I'm not, yeah, I'm too young to know the word of God and all this stuff. So he does interesting theological shit where he's, um, you know, not comparing himself to Christ, but saying, like, I would die for that cause and all this stuff. Um, he also invokes the Constitution, which is probably, you know, a pretty big deal to certain people down there. But um, to, speak to like, I guess an argument that he is doing this on purpose. The way that Emerson and Thoreau write about him after this is that, you know, before, before all this, when he was like cowboy, John, he would, uh, when people were talking, sometimes he would go talk, 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 you know, fuck that. And he would pull out his <laughs> gun, right? <laughs> Fucking cool. But, uh, but he turned after he was captured and, the way the way they put it, the metaphor they used is like uh, the value of the lead in a bullet versus the lead in a typewriter, I guess, or in a letter. Mm-hmm. And they said w- he's. They said he fired one bullet that activated the you know the typewriters of the New York Herald and Tribune and all these newspapers for like three straight weeks. So his power, yeah. he he like swung the the actual combat event into a narrative and that was his real power. So this is like the end of the John Brown Pokemon movie where he realizes his true power was like his message or whatever all along. Um, and he's only, you know, he's only able to get it out by, by remaining like a hundred percent fucking bulletproof in all these like interviews and, and when he's on trial and things like that. And when he, you know, he never cowers. And so, his like steadfastness, right? he never logs off. You know what I mean? Like he never gives them fucking anything to go, look, yeah. he was a coward and he actually, you know, fuck him or whatever. He eats his own cum. I don't know. He not
3: block anyone.
1: <laughs> um, and
3: he
2: eats his own
3: cum. And he eats his, and he's like, <laughs> yes, I do
1: eat my own cum. And they're like, God, um, did
2: not Christ eat his cum? <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, all right. Um, <laughs> Let's see. Someone yeah.
4: should put, what are those called? Biscuits that they, what's communion? Communion wafers. A wafer. Yeah. A wafers. Yeah. Come on, a communion wafer. A communion it. biscuit. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wendell Phillips is the one who said, lead is waged in bullets and it is much better made into type. He fired one gun and has made use of the New York Tribune and Herald for a fortnight. Um, we can talk a little bit about the fugitives. Uh, merriam uh cook cook gets arrested. oh yeah so cook escapes with the crew from the farmhouse at one point but then he goes he gets hungry and he goes in and asks someone for food and they recognize him and they arrest him and uh like the rest of the crew sees Uh. them taking him off on a train and at one point the guy who arrests him is like a neutral guy on slavery he's just a bounty hunter but uh he's like, well, it's a thousand dollars. Like I got to take you. And then cook eventually says, I'll give you like more money than that. If you let me go, yeah. but he's already sold him to a sheriff. And the guy's actually like, Oh shit, dude. Like, he's like, I wish I hadn't done that. <laughs> he fucking ends this guy's life. Aww, poor <laughs> cook. Um, Hazlitt, is walking in the woods with, uh, I think Edwin Kopak and, or no, not Edwin Kopak, one of the other ones. Um, but he eventually his fucking feet get jacked up. He gets the Joyce Carol Oates foot and he (laughs) can't walk very fast. And, uh, so he gets captured and he goes to jail, but he tries to disguise himself and take on a fake name in jail, uh, all the way up until his death. Like when they're walking to the gallows, they all just wink at him like, hello, not, Hazlit, you know? Yeah. But he still dies. Um, Owen, Tid, and Copic uh, took dinner from a random farmer and had to... Oh, yeah, this is really funny. So Owen, Tid, and Copic eventually have to ask this random farmer for food. And he comes in and he goes, Dear God, get in here. Don't you know what's going on? Because at this point, the news of Harper's Ferry has spread so far that uh, it's like the only it's like 9-11. That's like, the only fucking thing everyone's talking yeah. about. And, uh, they're like, no, we've just been in the woods, uh, hunting or something. And so he's like, dude, you got to read this. And while they're eating, he makes them read the newspaper aloud. Like, he's like, dude, you have to read this. And they're (laughs) like reading about their own selves while maintaining their fake identities. And they're like, wow, these guys suck. You know,
0: Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um,
1: a lawyer named George Senate gets assigned to Shields and Copeland, yada, 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 um, Let's see. So, Brown becomes mega popular in the seven weeks between Harper's Ferry and his death. Um,
3: Man, they let him stay alive that long? Seven weeks?
1: But, um, yeah, he was ready to die. He was very cheerful with his captor, his jailer, this guy named Avis, who, he like, when he died, he gave him one of his, his sharps rifles from the raid. Um you know, the guy treated him well. He was ready to die, didn't care. He let him kind of just out on parole and shit and, like, talk to people and take visitors and stuff. There was a meteor shower over his jail at one point, and, like, well, Melville and Whitman and Thoreau all wrote poetry after this, where they called him, like, the meteor. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he got tons and tons of letters and then like everyone visited him in jail from like the whole story. Like it was the end of a fucking novel or something. And uh, at
3: one point, yes. Stevens, who was, you know, all lit up and in jail, Jenny Dunbar, the woman he was writing letters to and in love with came to tell, came all the way to the jail to tell him like the day before he was going to die that she was not in love with him.
1: Wow! <laughs> Owned. Damn. I, uh, I'm trying to think of an internet thing to say about that. I don't know. I can't remember. Uh, my fucking brains broken. Uh, um, let's see. Okay. Uh, oh yeah. So Mahala Doyle, the widow of one of the guys he killed at Potawatomi, comes to him, and she's just describing how much she hates him and how he, you know, dragged her husband and son out of bed in the middle of the night and gutted them with swords and bullets and shit and uh maybe
3: you should talk to a therapist about this
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah the uh there's a sculptor that comes makes a bust of him finally his wife comes and visits him Mary and he asks or, uh, uh, he asks her to throw... I have
3: a- another child?
1: <laughs> yeah. Please, one more salmon. He <laughs> asks her to... What he wants to be done is all of the dead brown kids to be thrown out a pile and burnt, which, uh, they could just carry back home to North Elba, and that, like, disgusts her. She's just, no, I'm gonna take you guys all in coffins and stuff. Um, if we can find him. They threw one of the brown kids into the river. They can't really find him, but, uh, they've at least got John... December 2nd is the hanging and so many soldiers are present that barely any witnesses even really spectate because they just amassed so many militias from surrounding areas, uh, that it's just all it's just a fucking million guys with guns on them and guns like, you know, it's sniper points and shit because they expect someone to try to rescue him from the gallows. Right. Yeah. Um, He requested to be led, multiple times requested to be led by a group of black children and their old gray-haired mother. What? (laughs) He didn't really say anybody in specific. He just wanted to be led to the gallows by a bunch of black kids and an old gray-haired lady. And uh, they didn't do it.
2: That's extremely specific.
1: Yeah, it's really weird. (laughs) (laughs) He... Did hand a guard a note on the way to the gallows that said some wild shit about his uh, message kind of carrying on and stuff. And he there's a story about him kissing a black child as they lead him out of the jail. But that's not it's not true. It's just like a painting
3: uh, um, that was on his campaign earlier.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's this guy named Sadler, the Undertaker, who describes him as he says, You're the gamest man I ever saw. This is the Undertaker, right?
4: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, at the time that meant down to clown or like skinny. Well, he meant it, me-
1: it
3: yeah. meant like
1: strong-willed. No, I think it he meant he's ready down to, to, to die. Like I'm game.
3: Oh, yeah.
1: yeah. Fierce. He was like, usually people aren't like chomping at the bit to get up into the noose and stuff, but Brown's like yeah. <laughs> You fucking ready
2: to die?
4: Yeah, he thinks he's going You'd- getting salvation. So. Uh,
2: yeah, yeah. You truly died like a gamer. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, all of the, they put him in the gallows, and they put him on top of a trap door, wrap a noose around his head, put a white bag over his head. In the crowd, John Wilkes Booth and Robert E. Lee are there. Wilkes Booth kind of goes on to say that he really hated the guy's politics, but admired his methods. Pretty telling.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, Stonewall Jackson is there at the time. He's known as Thomas Jackson, and he's also a Puritan. He re- reads a prayer for Brown. Um, they put him on, the, on top of the trapdoor and put the noose around his head. And the hanging is delayed for ten minutes as the troops have to get into position and things just kind of oh, go God. off. So he's standing there for ten straight minutes, not knowing when he's gonna die. They snap Yeah.
2: Like comedy show in Brooklyn, am I right? Whole <laughs> <laughs> yeah. crowds here, show's not gonna
3: start. Come on. Uh, yeah. That's no,
2: when you're getting ready to
3: kill. The executioner uh shows up late.
1: Yeah. He's also a <laughs> DJ.
3: Yeah.
1: Um They finally snap the trap door open. The hinges screech. He drops only two feet. It's a very short noose for some reason. But they say his contortions were not extreme. His legs did not shoot up. Um, He's hanged for 35 minutes. He eventually is cut down, crumpled to the floor. His face is purple. The noose makes a gash an inch deep in his neck. And he's thrown pretty unceremoniously into a black walnut coffin. Mary escorted it to Philly. The mayor of Philly, fearing riots, sent out a decoy coffin (laughs) in case people were going to try to riot over his fucking coffin. (laughs) Undertakers open the coffin, see that he's been stuffed in with his head underneath the rest of his body, which causes his face to become black with blood. They have to ice him down, restore him, put him in a new non-southern coffin because they don't respect this uh, southern coffin. And carry him on a carriage through like a blizzard, through a boat to New York, eventually to North Elba. Lyman Epps, in North Elba, his half-black, half-Native American friend, sings, Blow ye the trumpet blow, and he's buried beneath this mountain called Mount Whiteface, which is also known as Cloud Splitter, because it's so fucking tall pretty cool right cool yeah. Yeah. yeah one of the other biographies of Niv is named cloud splitter because they use like the mountain as a metaphor mm. and it's also
2: um, the name of my penis <laughs> <laughs> <That was bad>. <laughs> <laughs> just a fun coincidence uh-huh.
1: so that's his life he dies in North L El- or he dies and he's buried in uh, they make it back to North Elba, which is where he you know lived and formulated all his theory and where his family lived and he's buried with his friends or uh, by his friends underneath fucking cloud splitter. And I guess to wrap this all up, like the story here would be pointless if we didn't talk about how it affected history after it. Right. Because the whole idea, the whole question of like, you know, whether John Brown was good or bad was, did this set the whole movement back? Did it plant the seeds for the movement? um and yeah. you know people on on both sides of the Mason Dixon line will argue differently about that but i mean if you look at like like what happened after he he basically really stuck it out all the way to the end and became a martyr is you know they were having ceremonies and like parties and stuff and uh you know reading from the Bible John
3: brown Brody's cookout. <laughs>
1: yeah. Uh, it, I mean, in Haiti, you know, he was a big fucking Haiti head. Uh, I mean, they just sang in the streets for like two days and made these big banners that had like quotes from him on them. Right. And yeah. he particularly inspired Victor Hugo, the uh, author of Le Miserable, the French poet who essentially wrote about it as like, this is, this is exposed to the rest of the world. What is going on in the American South? and he incorporated Brown in La Miserable and the character of Jean Valjean a lot, you know, there's all that religious shit at the end. And, um, he, yeah, I don't know. I mean, like after this, you know, the, the no, no one really knows for sure exactly what's going on with this. It's kind of contested, but like the, when they fucking made the statue of Liberty, it had chains in its hand. It was about, you know, mm. what the rest of the world saw in terms of, uh, the conflict of slavery in America, there's a a commune, one of the Paris commune leaders named Pierre Vesnier. I don't know. I can't find the quote I was looking for, but that's probably not
2: important.
1: Um, (laughs) Okay. Well, anyway, so, yeah, I mean, he becomes this, like, savior. People start to write about him. Um, You know, he he arguably turns, like, the... The culture, right, which is like a hard thing to do. He turns the tides of like what is publicly acceptable to sign on to because the abolitionists in the North, were so many of them were, like, well, I believe, but nobody else would, which is like such a problem yeah. historically, yeah. getting anything done, right? And
4: All right, we still have that today. Yeah.
1: Ex- exactly, we're living in a you know, we're the thing was taboo, but everyone fucking agrees it would be a better. Way to do things, but it's you know, you're worried everyone else is gonna judge you for it, right? Um, I don't know what the word for it is when you shift a huge like, like consensus or cultural value or something like this, but um, you know, he did it,
2: sea change,
1: something like that. God, that's turning a
3: turning point,
1: boring academic point, but uh, or way <laughs> to put it, but yeah, um, you
4: overturn the window,
1: something like that. I don't know, this, this is all. It sucks to look at John Brown's grave and go, you uh, you really shook things up in there, pal. <laughs> yeah. Really <laughs> um,
2: shook the gates to heaven, didn't we, Wayne?
1: But what happened afterwards is, you know, there's this, like, presidential election, and Lincoln is running, and this guy Seward is running, and as the issue of slavery becomes something that is kind of, you can't not talk about it. Lincoln actually rises to the top of the race because he is a moderate. And in a weird way, I guess the argument can be made that the in Overton window got shifted so hard that like people were a little bit worried about electing somebody who was that far over, but he's, he's now in the middle kind of the way, like a, I, I don't know who the fuck you would even put there. Um, but, you know, eventually he's able... He's the guy who's able to sort of become the helm of the Civil War. And in the South... Yeah. Um,
3: but Lincoln ran on not expanding slavery. But eventually, if you don't expand slavery, then you have new states entered into the Union, more representation for free states, so slavery would end anyways. Yeah. Slavery for those
2: who wanted. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, the South became... Like so angry and so roiling that they were, they were just killing anyone and everyone that they thought might be associated with the Browns or with the North or or yeah with uh, the Republican Party, with abolitionists, or just with the North in general. People were getting hanged, tarred and feathered, fucking pushed out of like moving trains and shit. You know, people were just being murdered in the street. So there's a boiling point where it became clear that the institution of slavery was under attack and they were so paranoid that they would just kill anyone in the street, which I guess created like the powder keg that, uh, sparked the civil war, right? Because you can't go back to just normal society after the question of, you know, do we get rid of this thing is causing people to not be able to sleep and just stay up with guns, shooting them into their front yards and stuff.
2: Yeah. Right. It's hard to keep business as usual after the lynchings, (laughs) You know,
4: it's gotta be a war him and um nat turner they both kind of yeah started this sea change whatever you want to call it um in public opinion and historians a lot of them like to dispute that people who are a little more conservative will say like oh they they set things back which is a way of covering uh for you know slaveholders uh because the truth is in places like virginia Especially after Nat Turner's rebellion, uh, slaveholders started to say, you know what, maybe we should think about like incrementally abolishing slavery, like someday yeah. 100 years from now, uh, we'll abolish it because they saw what happens when what when slaves are left to their own devices, when they get the ability and they are given a an actual uh, tangible opportunity to rebel and to to change things and they'll take they'll take it. They'll kill people. They'll kill you. This is a violent system. Mm-hmm. Right.
2: Uh, we and, should do something about this later. Yeah, yeah, not point. in my
3: lifetime. Right. Right. Not right. me.
2: Not now. Yeah, but.
3: a lot of people would free their slaves in the wills, but then the the children would be like, no, no, no I want those slaves.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's great <laughs> having slaves. Um, you know what? This is really giving me respect for is Frederick Douglass. Probably, you know. In retrospect, you're like, why wouldn't you want to be part of this revolutionary moment? But when you get into the details, it's very clear, like, oh, this guy didn't, like, have a plan that resulted in anyone yeah. living. You know? yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
3: he didn't want it to makes a lot
2: of sense. But also,
3: yeah. But also, he said, like, I've always been better known for fleeing than fighting. Yeah. So. yeah uh, and aside a, about Frederick Douglass is he also made his money, uh, you know, speaking around... Uh, around the country and around the world went to England and stuff Um, but people would he had really funny parts of his of his speeches and one funny part was an impression of a southern Methodist preacher and if he didn't do it the crowd would demand that he do it it
0: would be like do the preacher (laughs) uh,
1: he's like Randy
2: (laughs) yeah do Randy (laughs) (laughs) I'm Frederick Douglass with eight A's!
1: <laughs> yeah.
4: How about Frederick Douglass doing random?
1: There you go. Random.
2: Random. I can I don't know any of random's material though. It's just uh
4: There's
1: no good or evil, it's random. There's no there's no free or slavery, it's Douglas. I don't know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Oh, God. Poor Douglas.
1: (laughs) Um, I'm going through the... So that's... you know I pretty much wanted to go up to the end of his life and then just sort of like just kind of end on here and talk about how this maybe vaguely kind of implies what happens afterwards. My notes... I I was up pretty late last night. I started to get drunk, so they're getting harder to read. But there's a a funny story I remembered about a bunch of Italians that didn't speak English that wandered into the South. And the paranoia was so high that Italians, they just thought... Like, somebody was like... They asked for directions, and a guy handed them a note and wrote it in English, and he said, give this to someone in the next town. They'll put you in the right direction. But what he wrote, knowing they couldn't read it, was like, I am friends with John Brown. (laughs) So they they would just get fucking murdered immediately, which they did. Um, Oh,
3: man. Like
4: my cousin Vinny.
3: They were probably anarchists anyways. Yeah. Three (laughs) days
1: after the hanging of a Virginia newspaper declared secession inevitable. So that's another thing that happened, is that this basically put the South in a situation where they no longer saw being part of the union as a viable future, which created, you know, the movement for secession, which created the premise for uh, their part of the war for sure, you know, and then it pushed the North into a situation where it had to answer that, which turns into the civil war. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, a big question about Brown is, you know, did he cause the Civil War? I mean, is this a person yeah, lost I mean, to it's history?
3: The, a, a directly a year after his I, death.
1: I think what's really interesting about reading about all this stuff is that he was, like, in the news. He was something everyone in, in America talked about after this happened because of the way things went down and his trial and his interviews and everything. And so yeah. it... Uh, this is not an aberration. This is not a one-off blip. This is something that they also don't teach you in school a lot of the times because.
3: Well, in a- my class, we learned it. <laughs> I was right. like, "Wait till we get to John Brown, kids!"
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah, yeah. So your class is good. In my classes, they did not teach us, and it's weird that it's like. a the start of the Civil War—the fucking per- thing that started it—you don't teach. Yeah. Well, why is that? You know, well, it's probably because of that, yeah. like, Texas monopoly on textbooks and stuff like that, giving yeah, uh, you true. know the a slave owning state wanting to downplay that sort of shit. Um,
4: yeah. and there were, at, but right before the war, too, a lot of Southern states would complain especially around the election of Lincoln, that the federal government wasn't going to protect them from another John Brown. Yeah.
3: They demanded that federal troops come and like protect their slaves or not protect their slaves, but defend their slaves from capture.
0: Yeah.
1: Protect them. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Protect them from abolitionists basically.
1: Yeah. Yeah that's so funny because they're such anti-federalist just fucking assholes right
4: yeah it shows yeah states rights is a
3: total yeah it's total bullshit and And also like yeah like the fugitive slave act they would demand that people that the federal government enforce that that was the major bone of contention too and that was a federal law
1: yeah all right well i think uh i think i'm basically out of notes i think oh that's probably a good point to come to unless you have anything else. Naomi.
3: Yeah. There's one thing I guess during the war. Okay. The year after uh, the attack on Harper's Ferry and is hanging, people are like, Oh, I don't know. Do we stand with John Brown? But then when the war hits, it's everybody's like thinking about this warrior persona and becomes totally accepted. And in Lincoln's after the emancipation proclamation in when Lincoln recruited black soldiers for the Union Army on the flyer was uh, the song John Brown's Body.
1: Right. Which, by the way, so earlier in this series, I made an apocryphal note about what I thought was an apocryphal note. I'm doing a double apocryphal thing here. The song John Brown's Body. Double
3: apocryphal.
1: The song John Brown's Body is actually about John Brown. Um, Yeah. I I don't know
3: where you got that, that it was.
1: Well, I'll tell you where I got it. Um, Somebody, just a friend of mine, like, told you know, said, hey, it's not actually true. And I was like, "Is, is it? And he linked me to an NPR piece about it. There's like a This Why? American Life where they got it wrong. They think that it's a uh, wow. Yeah, it's it's common myth that it's not actually based on John Brown. But I had heard that before. Right. You know, I'd read that. Yeah, other there's places. also an
3: epic poem called John Brown's Body by where, John
2: Brown is ben, slang for heroin Vincent in Benet. certain parts
3: of yeah. America. <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, he was immediately after his death lionized pretty hard. Once the the I tipped over. Um, you know, Julia Ward Howe was one of his, like, one of the people at his wake, one of his closest people in his circle. And she wrote John Brown's body specifically about him. I don't know how that myth got out there about that that it wasn't actually him. Maybe it's a southern thing or something. I don't know.
3: Yeah. But also, I think one more thing that's really interesting is the language that he used, like, the sin of slavery won't be purged but with blood from this land or whatever. Lincoln kind of uses the same verbiage when he's in in the middle of the Civil War too.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean Lincoln uh, borrowed from Herbiage. John Brown, he borrowed from Marx as we know, you know. It's a lot yeah. going on there. And he's
2: like um He's he's like uh, the fat Jew of the 18th (laughs) 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 Just stealing from content creators
1: across the board. He's just in a in a tub of ranch dressing. (laughs) Is this comedy? (laughs) No.
3: Is this hot comedy?
1: That's what (laughs) fucking. That's what the fat Jew was. It was his act for a while. Act. I don't even know. He would just do like Instagrams of himself dipping himself in various sauces. It was fucking weird. Now, um, that's funny.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh,
1: um, Yeah, but I mean... Yeah, I mean, that's kind of interesting that that story would get out there because what it's trying to imply is that he did not become lionized until well after the fact. But it's not true. I mean, immediately after his... Di- By the time they hanged him, he was a national... Well, not a national, but like a big hero in the North. And, you know, there was like people in the streets, like in... Massachusetts, they said there was this, you know, there was like it was like a black guy that they would carry around on a giant bell and he would just ring the fucking bell. Everyone was just very wrapped up in his like religious imagery and uh, his martyrdom and and I wish I could find it. I mean, it's there's, there's just too much. If you're really interested in this, read this fucking book. It's fucking wild because there's I, I didn't have enough time to take it down, but I mean the 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 banners they would unfurl at these wakes that they would have for him all over the world would have his just intense fucking hardcore dogmatic like uh, uh you know I don't even know what it looks like. It sounds like uh, boondock saints type shit. In yeah. a church, you know? And this is a guy who fucking is holding two guns. It was crazy. There would be paintings yeah. of him in heaven with, like, you know, black angels and shit. But he lost a history, right? Because history is written by assholes.
3: Yeah. yeah. Well, we're the, re- re- we're the assholes rewriting it again.
2: We're the history nerd. is written by the assholes.
3: <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. The wieners. Okay. Well, that's John Brown. Does anyone have anything to plug? And then let's get out of here.
2: Well, that's that. Um, Here, I'll go first. Follow me on Twitter at Patak Jokes. I think I have a new radio play coming out this week on the Ballin' Out Superfeed for Police Academia, Blue Hero X, the cop anime I wrote. (laughs) Check that out. I do very wild voices on it. I think that should be out this week. Uh, You heard it here first, people.
3: Awesome. I'm Naomi Caravani with a K on Twitter. Uh, check out redacted tonight on youtube i hosted the last episode
4: yes you did did a great job uh at anders lee here on twitter you can also see me on redacted and um possibly will be releasing uh select chapters from uh a book i wrote a long time ago about what would have happened if ralph nader had been elected president (laughs) uh (laughs)
2: He was so close. <laughs>
4: <laughs> yeah, I might. Maybe we'll put it behind the Patreon for subscribers or subs. I don't know. I'll figure something out. Um,
1: fuck. You know what? I just remembered. Who, who, Naomi, who's the guy uh, who betrayed him at the beginning of all this? The, the French guy? Fuck. Oh, s- uh,
3: Italian guy. Yeah. Uh I forgot his. I forgot his name. I don't know. He comes. I said it play. on the last, yeah. last
1: episode. <laughs> he comes into play again post his death. It's not. He didn't rat him out before harper's ferry but he did something after his death i can't fucking remember i don't know listen listen i don't know yeah uh, i'll make a note in a future episode this took a lot of research we don't make very money off, much money off this show p- compared to the research so th- i tried as hard as i could p- you fucking freaks stop yelling at me on the internet i'm just kidding i love you all right uh <laughs> we have merch for sale if you'd like merch if you're that one person who's merch Got sent back a million times. I tried it again. I'm trying the fifth time. My person at the post office has a theory about it. Like a mailman she doesn't like that's like not taking it. I don't know. It's got nothing to do with <sighs> us. It's being sent. Um bigcartel.pod dot big cartel dot com. Uh Patreon.com slash poddam america for our bonus episodes, which we just did a cool one that'll be out this week on uh, James Connolly. The IRA guy. John Brown of Ireland. Yeah. Oh,
4: yeah.
1: Um, Or not the IRA guy. The Whatever. The Irish Republican. Um,
2: (laughs) The Irish man.
1: The Irishman. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, yeah, my other show is called Why You Mad. If you haven't heard it, it's very fun. Uh, I would like to get that show going really hard, too, because me and Louisa have a lot of fun on it. Um, That's it. Be good to each other. Um, I don't know what... This, I, I'm not religious like John Brown. I don't know how to end this like him. Um, strike... Go with the
2: fury and grace of God! <laughs>
1: Fear into the heart of sinners with a fucking sword which is bathed in the Lord's blood of calves and he k- killed a calf with it to sacrifice for God. <laughs> and then lick it. Okay. <laughs>
4: John Brown's body lies a moldering in the grave. John Brown's body lies a moldering in the grave. John Brown's body lies a moldering in the grave, but his soul goes marching on. Glory,
0: glory, hallelujah. Glory, glory,
3: hallelujah. Glory, glory, hallelujah. But his soul goes marching on